Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. Praise God, and thank you all those of you online that are joining us today. We pray that uh, you will be blessed. All right, I have, a, I have a unique message today I want to share with you. You've heard parts of this before, but I want to put it all together in, in, in pieces that you can understand, particularly with what we talked about today when we dedicated these babies and we asked them to ask God to really uh, uniquely guide their lives. Uh, would, you, would you join me in prayer right now? I, we need anointing. We know we need God more than we need anything else. You don't need to hear from me. You need to hear from the Holy Spirit. So, Father, we pray right now you release your anointing that we may have ears to hear and hearts to believe. We pray, Lord, you would set our watch and our direction. We would understand the will of God. We would understand the purposes of God in this generation. And we'd be filled with faith and filled with hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just say up front, because I'm going to dive into this and I want you to follow me. I want to I say right now, God has everything in control. We have no reason to be full of fear, full of doubt. God is in charge. And when he looks dark out there, praise God, it's looking brighter in here. But the greatest thing is God has this all charted out. He's right on time. He's not left. He's, he's putting things together. He laughs at those. We talked about this a few weeks ago. He laughs at those who think they're putting, you know, their mark on, on the world. But I'm telling you right now, God's doing something unique and it's powerful. And we're moving into that. So I want to talk to you about something that means something really, uh, really deeply in my heart. And I want to start, first of all, with Matthew 24, 37. It says, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. As the days of Noah, so shall it be at the time of the coming of the Son of Man, which means at the end of the age. Now, those days were full of evil, corruption, uh, violence. They'd never seen that before. That's why God just said, I got to get rid of them. (laughs) And there was only one man that found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And that was Noah. One man. Now there's a few more people than that now. Yet there's a whole lot of evil happening in the world right now. Corruption, things that we, we, that just kind of mock God and kind of throw things in our face. So today is no different than in the time of Noah. And we're being told that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at time of the coming of the Son of Man. So... What did Noah do? Well, we find out in Hebrews eleven seven what Noah did. It says, by faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen. I'm, I'm telling you, there are things that we have not yet seen. God is warning us now. Get ready. But he's going to prepare us. He, therefore, he moved with godly fear. That's a good thing. Not, not manly fear. Not, not fear of man, but fear of God. He prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. He did everything by faith. So he built an ark and he did it 
in the purpose and the will of God to save his family. Now you have to understand uh, this, 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 whole, this whole story. Now Noah, uh, he, was, he, was, he built this ark, took about 120 years. And can you imagine the, the, uh, the frustration? 120 years and he didn't see any fruitfulness. He didn't know what God was saying or doing, but he's, he was warned of God, so he did it. He found grace in God's, uh, God's eyes. And the Bible says in the book of Peter, it says that uh, he was a preacher of righteousness. So he went around preaching. What was he preaching? Get in the ark. Get in the ark. Get in the ark. All theologians will tell you the ark is a type of the church. It's a type of the church. And so he's saying in his day, get in the church. That didn't say get in the walls of a building. Get in the parameters and the environment and atmosphere of a local church in which you can thrive. That's what he's saying. Get in the ark, get in the ark, get in the ark. He preached it for 120 years, yet only eight decided it was worth doing. Isn't that just, that's shocking to me. But the same thing is true today. Saying, get in the ark. Get in. Now there are three arks in the Bible. Noah's ark, the ark of the covenant, and the Moses ark in the bulrushes. All three of them. All three of them are preserving something. You see, the ark speaks of preservation. So God is saying to us today, you need to be preserved. You need to be protected. You need to be saved. So he's saying, get in the ark, get in the church. There's so much bad going to happen I'm just warning you, but there's so much good going to happen to us and we will be protected. I'm telling you, we will be protected, but you got to be in the house. You got to get in the house. And this is what God is saying. Just like Moses was saved in the Ark of the Bulrushes and the, the 10 commandments and the manna, it was preserved in the Ark of the Covenant and, 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 and the Ark of Noah was built to preserve or save a household. It's all about a household. God is saying, we've got to get in the ark today. You know, people, people say to me, uh, you know, I believe in God and, and I'm saved. Isn't that enough? I say, no, no, it isn't. You've got to get in the church. You got to be committed to the house of God. And I'm, I'm saying that because this is the value that I put. This is what saved my life. And I look at many of you today, the reason why you're even anywhere sane is because you got in the house of God. You let God save you and then he brought you in. And you're here because of that today. Now, that, now you're going to have to stay with me There's, um, because I'm using d different metaphors here. So we have the ark. We also, the Bible also says a tree is as a man's life. A tree is as a man's life because the trees are usually about the life of a man. Some may go longer, some shorter, but most trees, and the Bible talks a lot about trees, are about the length of life of man. They have fruit, they have branches, they have roots, just like we do. Psalm 1-3 says this, he shall be like a tree. Now it's talking about a man. He's going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaves shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. He's going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Now, in Psalm 92, another corresponding scripture says the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. So he's, he's likening us to trees. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. 
Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. I'm believing for that. And they shall be fresh and flourishing. What is the prerequisite for being fresh, flourishing, and still bearing fruit in old age? Being planted. Being planted, you'll flourish when you're planted. I'm telling you, there are a lot of Christians, they're not flourishing. Why? Not, it's not because they're not saved. Because they're not planted. They float from church to church. They go from this thing to that thing and they, they show up once in a while or whatever. They're not planted. I'm telling you right now. The reason why my kids are serving God, I believe with all my heart, is that we decided, Connie and I decided to plant ourselves in a house. And we, we made the house of God a value. It was the most important thing to us. What is most important to us will be important to your children. It just works that way. And so, you know, I look around the congregation here and see those who've been planted in this house for so long. Barry and Ellen, I want to I say thank you for planting yourself in this house. These two came to the church about 1985 or so, 86, right in that area. And they've been here ever since. See, Meg Keenan, Phil and Lorray. I mean, it goes down, down the list. I see some... I see Trevin and Stephanie here today. Trevin and Stephanie, they were in, uh, Stephanie and Rayanne over here, and Chris, they were planted in this house. They grew up in this house. Trevin decided to come here and marry this young lady here. And, and so, but they were planted in the house. Now they're flourishing. Now Trevin and Stephanie are going to Texas to start a church. That's, that's fruitful. That's fruitful. My point is, you will, if, if you really want to flourish in the kingdom of God, you better find a house to be planted in. You got to get in the ark. You have to be planted. You know, there's something about planting that secures us in blessing, fruitfulness, and in God's, in God's plan. You don't see trees flying around. You don't see that. They're planted. We were originally an agrarian agricultural society. I believe that's why God used these metaphors. Trees must nurture the root system. The root system is nurtured, I believe, in the house of God. There's an atmosphere here. You were made to grow in certain atmospheres. God made you that way. And the house of God is the atmosphere of God's choosing in which he causes you to grow and to flourish. That's just the way God did it. And as a believer, you must be planted. Now, here's God's plan. I don't think we understand this as believers. God has a threefold plan. Salvation, preservation, partnership. Salvation is redemption. He wants to save you. When you, when you ask God in your heart, you get, you get saved, you get redeemed, you get bought back. All right? That's a good thing. But we can't stop there. Most Christians, most churches stop there. I remember when I was a kid, I got saved every Sunday. I just want to make sure. You know, God's come back anytime. I just want to make sure. So I get resaved every Sunday. For, that happened for at least 30 years, it seems like. <laughs> but salvation is redemption. But God has something else. He wants to preserve us and protect us. There's a lot of spiritual warfare out there. And I, I just, I'm telling you right now, if you're not in, enclosed with a, a body of believers that can pray for you, protect you, encourage you, strengthen you, nurture you, the Holy Spirit coming down, you're going to have some problems you won't want to deal with. There's a devil out there that doesn't like us. And so we must partner together to be preserved and protect. Get in the ark. 
I'm telling you, this is not a, this is not a fantasy tale I'm telling you today. This is the absolute truth. I've seen it over the years. I've seen people come into the house of God and they float out. And I've seen the devastation. If they didn't get back into church, I see the devastation in their families. I mean, I could tell you story after story after story after story. But I've also seen those who've come in the house and planted themselves, what it did to them and what it did in transforming them into the person that God wanted to use in partnership. Because the third thing is partnership. God didn't just make you and save you and preserve you so you can go to heaven. I mean, I could really throw some, some curveballs at you right now about theology because our theology is all messed up. We think God's just going to come to take us out of here and get us to heaven. It isn't about heaven, people. It's about earth. God wants to reclaim the earth. And therefore, if that's true, he wants to partner with us to help him do that. That's why God uses prayer. And we've, we've gone through this whole series of prayer. Prayer is a partnership with God, taking the earth back from the devil and bringing heaven down to earth. That's what it is. Come on. Wow. So he wants to save us. He wants to protect us. But then he wants to partner with us. So why do we need to be this planted? You know, and uh, I'm going to use another word, connected. There are now hundreds of millions of people around the world, billions actually, who are connected to the internet. They're con- they're, watch, your, watch when you go out to eat. Watch you're in your store. You know, on the plane. I'm, everybody's connected. They've got this, this, this uh, screen in front of their face. But there is another kind of connection today that I want to talk about that we must have in order for us to prosper. We must have a relational connection. Over the past few decades, there's been a very strong emphasis in our culture on personal individuality, self-esteem, self-fulfillment, self-help, me, 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 me. And that's what's led to narcissism. Because it's all self-help, it's all about me, we have a me generation. Everything is evaluated based upon what's in it for me. As a result, we have produced a very disconnected society. People don't know each other. It's funny because we're connected, but we're not connected. And we look at Facebook and Instagram, we see all the pretty faces and everything. Of course, they're only giving you their best side. They didn't show you the night they had the challenge. They didn't show all the other parts. But we're disconnected. And, but we weren't made to live this way. Genesis 2.18 says, it is not good for man to be alone. You and I were made for relationships. We were created for connections. Life is not meaningful except in the context of relationships. We have a universal need to belong. We need to belong. Even Jesus needed friends. This belonging is called fellowship in the Bible. Fellowship is not just hanging out with people you like. It's, it's, not just, it's more than socializing, networking. It's more than just spending time with people that, that, that you love. Fellowship is soul-to-soul connection, heart-to-heart connection. But the postmodern generation longs not only for connection with their creator, but also with humans. Dr. Edward Hallowell says this. He says, we are a nation of doers. We hurry from place to place, filling our lives with all kinds of activities, sometimes overscheduling our kids and ourselves. But what really sustains us emotionally, psychologically, and physically is connectedness. The feeling that we are a part of something that matters. Something larger than ourselves that gives life meaning. Just as there is a vitamin deficiency 
There is a human contact deficiency and it weakens the body, the mind, and the spirit. Its ravages can be severe depression, physical illness, early death, or they can be mild, underachievement, fatigue, loneliness. Just as we need vitamin C each day, we also need a dose of human contact every day with other people. We all know we need food, we need vitamins, we need air, sunshine, sleep, but we also in the same way need this human connectedness. It's just as essential as vitamin C. It's the other vitamin C, connectedness to people. We're, 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 we're called as believers, but we're also called to belong, and we are belongers. We believe in the redemptive act of God. We also believe in the family of God, the body of Christ. Is it not interesting the metaphors that God used for us? Family, body, army. I mean, it goes on and on. The bride of Christ, etc. It's all about relationships. God created a place where we can develop the relational skills that we all need. It is called the church. It's called the ecclesia. The Bible. Now, I'm, I'm God, if I could just tell them and give them the revelation. I just, it just stirs in me. I believe this with all my heart. I believe this today as much as I'm standing here, as much as I breathe air. This is one of the most important things. You got to get in the ark. You got to get planted and get connected in the, into the body of Christ. If you will do this, it will bear great fruit in your life. It, the, and so the, the, the Bible talks about and tells us there's the combination of relationships that happens among believers, a level of intimacy that cannot happen anywhere else, and it's called this fellowship. Romans 12, 5, in Christ we are many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. How can I belong to all the others? Well, that's what happens. It's supernatural. 1 Timothy 3, 14 says, I'm writing these things to you so you will know how to live in the family of God. That family is the church of the living God. So God started talking about the family. That's another metaphor. The family of God. Paul introduces this, this term in his writings as brotherly love. You know the word brotherly love as Philadelphia. I don't think Philadelphia is a city of brotherly love anymore. Doesn't seem to be. They've lost this this uh, connection with, with what it means to be, have brotherly love. It, but Philadelphia, or brotherly love, is referring to the love that brothers and sisters in Christ should have for one another. Notice this, it literally means, it literally means from the same womb. From the same womb. It is a family term. When applied to Christians, it means fellow believers, members of God's family, brothers and sisters in Christ, members of God's household. It means we have all been born again into God's eternal family. We are vitally related to each other through a common heritage. God has adopted us all as sons and daughters of God. And there's something powerful that happens when we're connected as a family. Now, my, my wife and I, were, were uh, she was showing me some some video that had been taken about five years ago. And this video was fascinating because it was a, a video of, uh, of Mark interviewing our grandkids and uh, Kirsten and Shane's two kids that were adopted. All five kids were in there. They were, uh, this is Ethan and Eden and, and uh, Wesley, Quincy and, and Whitney. And, they, and Mark, who was also in the same thing of being adopted, was entering, interviewing them and asking them what it meant to be adopted. It was so fascinating at five years of age, at nine years of age, at 10 years of age, what they were saying, how much it meant. And they, were, they, 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 they had caught it. 
And they were saying, you know, this is, this is how we were, we were saved and, and preserved. And they didn't use those terms, but they were using terms that children would use. And it was just fascinating. And then Mark was, was interviewing him. And then they asked questions of Mark. What does it mean to you to be adopted? There's something about God's bringing us together in a family that cannot be it just cannot be uh, undervalued. God designed the church, the family of God, to be a reparenting organism. To bring emotional, spiritual healing to people who have grown up in unhealthy families. Many people today have to learn for the first time how to love and care for others. And there's nowhere their institution that will teach you that. Businesses won't. The government certainly won't. I mean, there's no other institution that would teach you how to be a good dad, a good mom, a good, you know, children. A dynamic, healthy church. Maybe the only place where young people will see what it means and what a family is intended to be. Can the church bring healing and health to people who've been thoroughly secularized as we see today? I think yes. I think it's the only way. We, we, we have to bring and raise up the value of the local church, the value of the ecclesia, the meaning of connectedness, the meaning of, of fellowship and, and being joined together, being planted, being the ark. We need to do that. Now, the reality, and I'm going to close in a few minutes, the reality is this. Church and family life is messy. You don't have any arguments, right? You don't have any problems in your home. Your children are always obedient. They just came out of the womb just saying, yes, mom, yes, dad. <laughs> no, church is messy. Family is messy. It's hard. There's no good model in a sense for us. And so, so we begin to think, well, let's, let's go back to the Bible. Let's just apply the Bible and it's, it's examples in our lives. So we go back there and these family examples kind of surprise us. Noah had a drinking problem. Abraham offered his wife to another man. Now these are the main people of the Bible. Rebecca schemed with her son to deceive her husband Isaac. Jacob's sons sold their brother into slavery. Boy, that's, that's fellowship. <laughs> David had an affair his, and his son started a rebellion. Then he killed a man. Eli lost total control of how his boys acted in church. I mean, the list goes on and on. And you say, well, what about Mary and Joseph? They did pretty good. Well, he was the son of God. <laughs> but even they, don't forget the time that they left their, their son at church for three days. <laughs> Today, they would have been reported in child services. Adam and Eve, outside of single-handedly causing the downfall of the human race and, and subsequently raising one son who killed the other, I, I guess they're okay. But that's the biblical family. In fact, if, if most of the people in the Bible had shown up in your church, you would have suggested they go to counseling or maybe go to another church. You surely wouldn't want them to have been your spiritual leaders. So we clearly know or see that God is not trying to paint a picture of an ideal family in, in, the, in the Bible. So what is he doing? He's not trying to give you a better picture. He's writing a story. 
It's a story of multiple chapters, a story that's unfolding. It's a story that is a process, not a point in time, a story of multiple opportunities as you go along, not a snapshot, not Facebook, not Instagram, but a plot line in which God desires to reveal himself over and over and over again. And God's story is a story in which every day faith becomes a reality, where we have a chance to redefine our relationships, a way to start again. It's a story that gives every family and every person a chance. If God can use them, then maybe there's hope for me. People often wonder why stories in the Bible are so conflicted and violent and difficult. Well, he's writing a story in real lives. Real time. Real ways. Can I just say this? You and I, we're all dysfunctional. But yet God wants to use us all. God is interested in using broken people to tell his story. (laughs) That's the church. Noah's Ark was messy. Really messy. When you have animals, they eat and they do other things. It's messy, it's smelly. Broken people are the primary characters featured in almost every story of the Bible. Seems like God is more interested in using broken people than he is in creating a better picture. He's saying, I'm going to use churches, I'm going to use families composed of broken people as platforms to demonstrate to the world that I am a God of restoration and redemption. God isn't as interested in putting a picture in front of us as he is trying to tell a story through us. Every, every, every Saturday, are you still with me? I'm just about done. Every Saturday I, I tape a program on TV. It's called College Game Day. Now, you may think I'm watching it for football. Actually, I'm not. Every time they have college game day, they tell one story about in the middle of, it's, it's a three-hour program. So I fast forward until I get to the story. I could care about, less about the games and who's playing. But I want to hear their story because they always tell a story about a player, a coach, a wife, so, that something difficult happened and how they went through it. That's my favorite part of it. So I just fast forward and then I delete it. Because I'm not watching the whole three hour thing. I'm, I, wanna, I wanna hear the story of how some broken person made it through. That's what touches me. Praise God. But you know what? We have bought into the myth that we need to become the right kind of person before God can use us. Instead, God is longing to tell his story through our imperfections and our brokenness. You need to invite God into your less than ideal story and learn to cooperate with whatever he wants you to do. Then the dynamic of your personhood and your family will radically change. So don't focus on the picture. Focus on the bigger story God desires to illustrate through you. Rather than painting a picture of a perfect church, a perfect family, God wants to use people, church, family as a canvas for his redemptive story. He wants to use your family, this church, to show us what it means to have an authentic, everyday faith with God who redeems and restores broken people, even in spite of difficult times. This is what it's all about. There's nothing perfect about the church. It isn't supposed to be. It's a story of broken people. But 
what if our job is not to fix the church so we all look like Photoshop people? But rather, our job or purpose as the church, as parents and family, is to illuminate the bigger story and to influence the next generation to experience God in a more genuine way. Some, some of you feel like you can never measure up. You're not supposed to. Oh, this is such a good message. So there's two different approaches as I close. There's the better picture approach. This is where we try to conform every person to our picture of what a family should be. It doesn't work. And then there's the bigger story approach. This is where we learn to see every person as a potential platform for God to demonstrate his story of redemption and restoration. So if you had a difficult family life, praise God. Forgive, let God help you, restore you, redeem you. God is at work telling a story of restoration and redemption through the church and through the family. No matter what your family looked like. You see, God simply wants to use you and this church and your family to demonstrate an eternal story of unconditional love and grace. That's his story. And the family and the church exists, even in its imperfections, to display the heart of God to every generation. I tell everybody all the time, I say, you're going to find somebody in church you don't like. But you better start liking them. You better start loving them. Because you know what? God actually put that person in your life to change you. Not to offend you. To change you. I mean, I, I have a story. I can't tell the story. But I had this happen when I was teaching school. God changed me through a person that I didn't, one of my students, I didn't like. God's primary conduit has been the family and the church, which has been used as the timeless platform throughout our history to put God's glory on display. And he still wants to do it. But you can't be a part of it if you're not in the ark and you're not planted. You can come to church all you want. Just because you come to church doesn't make you a Christian or planted. Just like just going out to, to McDonald's doesn't make you a Big Mac. But if you commit yourself in faith as Noah did, if you commit your, yourself in, in faith, just as I've talked about being planted, God will do something powerful in your life. I, I believe this message, I believe this is one of my life stories. This is my life story. I grew up in the house. I've only been in about three or four churches just because that's who I am. Because you, you live in one with your family, then you go to another one when you're in college, then, then you're, you get planted one. Then I'm here now. I've been here for 38, going on 39 years. I'm telling you, if you want fruitfulness, I'll tell you a secret. Get planted. It's the key. It is the key. And listen, fruitfulness doesn't happen overnight. The Bible says it takes five years for a tree to bear fruit. Do you know that, Scott? Five years. Five years. That's, it takes five years for a tree to bear fruit. You're going to you're gonna have to put your roots down. Now, so planning isn't just attending church. It is, but it's more than that. It's being part of serving and loving and caring and praying and encouraging. That's what, that's what it is. 
And so, yeah, we come to church and we, this is a part because this is the time the whole body gets together. There are other times during the week we have small groups and we do prayer groups and we do all these different things, but you've got to make it, you have to make it intentional. This is what you want to do. I'm planting myself. I had someone come up to me a couple weeks ago and said, Pastor Ken, you know, when you had the planting service back at such and such a time, changed my life. I got in the church, I committed to this, and it changed my life. I'm telling you, you can change your life too. I believe this. Now, if it's not in this church, get in a church and get yourself planted. Because if you do, now it's messy. It's challenging at times. Oh, but it's so fruitful. It's so fulfilling. You have lifetime friends. I mean, I'm looking at here, the, the people I've known for 30, 40, 50, some 50 years. You know, I'm, I'm as close to family as I am to family in this, in the house of God as I am to my own family. And because of that, I think God is, has changed me, is changing you. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.